Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon to all our listeners. This is the Perkins Platform. We'd like to welcome everyone once again this month to a very exciting uh, discourse on uh, issues impacting leadership in urban education. Uh, we have three special guests with us this uh, afternoon um, who are all leaders in their own right um, in urban uh, environments uh, for schools that they have proposed and been a part of from inception. So today's show will focus on the leadership skills necessary to lead new schools and design new schools. So our guests uh, today are the first person we have with us is David Hardy, who is uh, the executive uh, director of uh, regional schools in Camden, New Jersey. We have Legra Newman, who is the very new principal of Purpose Preparatory Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. And we have Sharon Stevens, who is the principal of Nadiva Prep in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, so welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, to our listeners, uh, as usual, we're going to try to get in a few calls uh, after uh, we've had our discussion. And so you can write this number down, 347-826-9029. Again, 347-826-9029. And so we're going to work to uh, wrap things up timely enough so that we can uh, field a few calls. So I have our guest here. Uh, David served as the um, founding principal of a, uh, a school in Brooklyn, and in his capacity on the show today is going to talk about that. Um, he was the founding principal of an Achievement First school in Brooklyn. Uh, Legra is... Um, starting a new school, Purpose Preparatory Academy in Nashville, that actually begins this September. Is that correct, Blake? July. July 29th. In July. July 29th. Wow, okay, so you're really close. And then uh, Sharon Stevens, who is the principal of Madiba Prep, and Madiba is just wrapping up their very first year in existence as a charter, uh, I'm sorry, as a new school in in Brooklyn. And so um, what I'd like to hear uh, from from you about uh, uh, if, if you would share with us a little bit, and I know there's a lot of work, a lot of aspects of uh, school design and implementation of a new school model, a new school design, is uh, I know that there's a lot to consider. Can you tell me first what was the, the thing that you were involved with that in your first year or even in your first 100 days that was a surprise, that uh, ended up being a significant part of the, the the job that you had to do that you did not anticipate. So just jump in. Whoever wants to go first um, can jump right in. But I want to hear a little bit about what surprised you about the work that was in front of you. Well, I, I think for okay. for for me, it was um, the politics of navigating the community that I was in. Uh, my, I'm on a, my school is located on the campus, and I did not at all anticipate um, the amount of energy that it would take to build the relationships on the on the campus so that we could operate in the way that I had envisioned. And there was also resistance in the community as well. So for for me, that was the the big surprise was the. Um, the community relations piece in the way that it emerged. Okay. I think, okay. Uh, David, you uh, had 
Yeah, very, very similar. I think it was um, the parental politics, if you will, where um, there was a good deal of getting our parents very bought into a high expectations uh, learning environment for their students. And so um, our students came from an Achievement First elementary school, and they assumed moving up to the middle school would be very similar. However, coming to the middle school, we just had a different level of expectations, a different vision of what great education looked like. So there was a ton of parent pushback on many of our systems around school culture and even how we approach some of the learning um, at our school. So that was a, a big surprise and took a lot of time to overcome. And for me, as a new school leader, um, and having been trained um, through the Building Excellent Schools uh, Fellowship, um, it was just really grappling with uh, all of the different aspects that it took to create and found a school. I came from an education background, having been a teacher and an instructional coach, um, but then really recognizing that to found a school, you know, it's everything from um, identifying a facility and working to make sure that the construction management of the facility is is um, up to par or the design of the building and giving feedback in that way or working to develop and manage and, and work with uh, the board of directors and fund development and community development and recruitment of families. And so just really um, getting into the work and recognizing that, um, you know, there's so many different aspects that goes into creating uh, a school and, and having to learn and dive into each of those different areas. Sure, sure. And so now that uh, all of you have uh, laid out some some interesting components here that um, that you wouldn't necessarily think of when you think about okay, I'm going to implement a school. But but then as you think deeper about um, the certainly you take something like facilities. You you that that's that's a real part of what happens in the management of a of a school building. And and so it sounds like those things take up a lot of time. Um, in contrast, uh, I, I guess I'd like to hear a little bit about also what was it that made you decide you wanted to do this, and what motivated you? So you you, you started this work. It's a lot of hard work. It, there's some things that you did, really didn't anticipate, and they're taking up significant amount uh, significant amount of your time. I doubt that any of you said, "I want to do this." Um, start a new school because I enjoy being involved in politics and being involved in construction. Um, so tell me a little bit about what it is that got each of you into this work and where you decided I'm going to start a new school or I'm going to be a part of a new school founding. Yes, yeah, so for me, this is Legra. For me, it was really, it just comes down to the opportunity that we have um, to create a really great school for our families here in Nashville and recognizing the reality that in the community where we are located, the families there have very few options for high-quality schools. Um, I went to Vanderbilt as an undergrad student, which which put me on the trajectory to education, but tutored in a lot of the local elementary schools and middle schools and then had the opportunity to return to do this work and recognize that even since, you know, undergrad, the education uh, crisis here is just as stark. Um, the reality is that families, uh, if they send their children to 10 of the schools that are in the North Nashville community, only one out of every four children will leave elementary school on grade level. 
And so no family wants 25% odds for their child. And so it's really been about the opportunity to create a really high-performing school for children that sets them up for success, recognizing that that's just so critical. And so everything, you know, it's definitely been um, a huge learning experience for me to dive into the different facets, but it just really comes back to our mission of creating a really great opportunity for children to be set on the path to college starting in kindergarten, and so we're creating an elementary model. Um, we're opening with just kindergarten and growing a grade every year in fourth grade, but to really change the futures and the, the options that families and children have so that their children can fulfill their purpose and be successful in life. Sure, sure. And, and Sharon, I know you um, similarly had uh, a goal um, like that, and, and from everything you've, you've uh, described to me previously, you have uh, new kinds of programs and 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 activities that uh, weren't um, in options to to students uh, before your program in the area. Uh, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit also about what how you saw that fitting in and why why did you choose to get into that endeavor? Okay, for. For me, it really was about looking at um, the Bedford-Stuyvesant community in particular. Um, it's interesting because I grew up in Bedford-Stuyvesant, and where my school is located, I noticed when I did a survey that many of the things that I was exposed to, the children in this area are not exposed to. And... I wanted to be able to create an opportunity for them to experience things that I know that it's highly likely that they would never experience. And so the children fence, they get engaged in, in robotics and engineering, advanced level concepts that typically one might say are too advanced for a sixth grader. But what I know is that children are like sponges, and if we expose them to the material, then they rise to the occasion. And I wanted really to prove um, that it could be done. I wanted to expose these families um, to something different. We just came back from Howard University in Washington, D.C., and I wanted the children to know that anything was possible, and I wanted them to know it because they had lived it. And that's really why we're doing what we're doing, where we're doing it um, in this community. Gotcha, David. What about you? How did you How did you come to realize there was something that you could contribute here? Yeah, I think it it it, it came a point when I actually started teaching um, in Miami, where I realized I got to a point where I felt like I wasn't doing enough, um, and that I could do so much more uh, for my kids. And um, coming from you know from outside of, outside of Philadelphia, having two loving parents who had provided so much for me and made uh, education such a important part of my life and of my brother's life that I felt that I could provide that in some way as an educator uh, for my students. And in Miami and, and understanding the political dynamics down there, it was going to take a long time for me to navigate that to get to a place where I was impacting more than just the, the students that were in the four walls that I taught in. And so I felt, you know, the charter option and opening a school would, would allow me to, to explore that. And so I took advantage of that in a big way and realized that um, there was so much more I could do in the immediate future. Sure, sure. Now, um, Lager, you mentioned something very uh, uh, profound here uh, that 
one in four of the children, if I understood you correctly, uh, um, are not on grade level when they leave. And I imagine in some of these situations, both in uh, in at Madiba and at your achievement first school, uh, that there were similar uh, statistics where um, schools, whether they are traditional public schools or charter schools, um, didn't necessarily um, serve uh, um, a significant number of their population. And and so I know you all have different models and you're doing different things and, and want to accomplish um, great things for your students, but I have to ask the question, what are you doing that is going to make a difference this time? So people often say things like, well, we're going to do parent involvement or we're going to have a, we're going to establish a professional learning community among our teachers and, and, and goes on and on about these um, new and sometimes uh, great innovations that you're going to put in and that people have tried before and people have done to varying degrees. But how is it that, though, uh, with what you are proposing, what's going to make the difference? And, and what, what is it that is special about what you're doing? Um, and, and I'll start with uh, Labor first. If you could tell me about in terms of what you plan. What, how is it that you have planned something and you see where that's going to be different from the, the countless other uh, schools uh, across the country that may have tried the same thing? What's, what's going to be different about what you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we were really fortunate to have the opportunity to focus on the schools um, that are operating in our nation that are doing really great work for children. Um, so through um, the Building Excellence Schools Fellowship, I had the opportunity to study over 40 schools that were really doing amazing things for children. Um, and during this planning year, what we were able to do is identify two elementary schools that were um, the highest performing schools in the nation and just dig deep into exactly what they were doing. And, you know, the reality is it's not rocket science, right? Um, it's a lot of the jargon that everyone speaks about, um, you know, rigorous curriculum, um, really great professional development for staff. But then I think what's happening in the schools that are high performing is that they're they're operationalizing those systems, and it's a part of what they do. And so when we think about what that looks like for purpose prep, it's really, you know, the, the components of our mission really focus on rigorous curriculum, high-quality instruction, and a positive character development. And so what that means is our curriculum is very rigorous, but we've been thoughtful about how do we benchmark per national assessments, per where top students are performing, how do we have these expectations, how do we create this curriculum that is going to set our students on and above grade level, but then how do we support them given the gaps that they're going to come into our school with? Because we know that some students are going to come on grade level, above grade level, and, and many below grade level just because the pre-K system here in Nashville is not as strong, and it varies depending on the pre-K program students attend. And so what that looks like is then moving into the high-quality instruction piece. We have the, the curriculum. We have now two high-capacity teachers in every single classroom, and they're very they're what, the, what that enables them to do is to really break students down into small groups and differentiate the level of instruction while still keeping the high expectations and the high-quality curriculum that's being implemented for students. And we found that families have been motivated by that because 
if their child is coming into kindergarten already mastering a lot of the initial, you know, letter sounds and letter ID and numbers, then they want their children to be challenged and pushed higher. And then we have families who their children may not have had those fundamentals in their pre-K program. And so how are we supporting their children to still meet the benchmarks um, and be on, set on that path to college but supported? And so we really, that two-teacher model in every classroom has really helped us out with a lot of the small group instruction. And then the other piece is just around the positive character development, really understanding what our core values as a school are, what does this look like in action from both the adults as they're modeling this and teaching this to students, but what are the expectations that we have for students, and being very transparent with that with families um, to really run a very structured and very disciplined program that enables time on task to be maximized and for teachers to be able to focus solely on implementing instruction in the classroom. So I found that to say, you know, the, the, the talk sounds good, right? But what I see that differentiates the talk from the, the doers is really operationalizing it and sweating those details and being consistent on the execution of it. So if they say that I'm going to shake your hand every morning when you come into the door because I believe that when you cross over the threshold, you know, you're getting a certain message, that school leader is there every single morning, rain or shine, whatever may be the case, they're there. And it's, it's that level of detail and focus on the detail and consistency that enables them to execute on what they're saying that they're doing for children. Excellent, excellent. Sharon, tell us a little bit. So what are you doing and, and what makes it different? Well, I, I I think many of the things that were mentioned is interesting. We are doing. We also have uh, two teachers in every classroom, a 15 to 1 ratio. We have small group tutoring for students, early morning tutoring for students, and that small group tutoring is not an afterthought. It's built into the framework of the school. So when we programmed the school, we thought about what the needs may be based on the data that we have. And speaking of data, one of the things that we do is that we focus on that data, and we don't just um, administer benchmark assessments and then put the data in a drawer, but we really look at the data and and try to understand what it is that it's telling us, and then we're responsive to that. And so I think one of the chief things that I would say that makes us different is that we are nimble enough that we're able to be responsive to what is happening with the population that we serve. We focus on college and career readiness. There's a, a heavy emphasis every week on exposure. Um, we have advisory for our young people so that every child is well known by at least one adult in the building, and typically it's more than one adult in the building. And as the principal, one of the things that I realize is that everybody wants your attention. And so one of the things that we did early on was we took pictures of all of our students and really I made a concerted effort to learn the names of each of these children. We had 90 over 90 children coming to us at one time. And so my homework was to look at those pictures every night so that I could um, commit to memory the names of those children so that the relationships 
that we began to develop early on were deep and I could have conversations with them that would move me to a place of trust with them so that they I I could have the, the, the necessary conversations with them when I needed to to move them academically. The other thing that I think we we, we focus on is really um deli- engaging in deliberate development of our teachers because for me, as the teacher grows, so too does the class. And so we've done a lot of work um, and and put our resources in developing our teachers and, and also our families so that they could be engaged with us as partners along this process. So we're not talking down to them. We're not talking above their heads, but they're right with us because as Common Core unrolls, they know the language, they understand what's happening, and they can partner with us. So we've really done a lot around engagement. Mm-mm, I see. I see. And so it sounds like there, there are a lot of aspects uh, to this work that um, are not just about um, academics. And, and, and certainly uh, it sounds like there have been, been some challenges. So when we first started, um, I asked you to tell me a little bit about what was the thing that surprised you or that you really didn't anticipate? David, I, I want to shift it a little bit with you and ask you, what was the biggest hurdle for you in implementing your your collective ideas, How it, the, the school model? When you, Once you got this thing designed, you said, here's what we're going to do. Here's what makes us different. This is why we're going to be successful when others were not. What was the biggest hurdle for you? As a school leader, what was the biggest challenge for you to get over? Yeah, so I think it was a, it was a couple a uh, couple pieces to it. I think one, um, it started with finding the right people uh, to join me on this mission. In the sense that you know, um, you know, take a little bit of good degree, if you will, in the sense that you have to have the right people on the bus. Um, so it, 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 the hurdle was really finding them and making sure they were bought into what we were trying to do. So that was not a you know one meeting, um, we're all bought in, let's move forward. But it was a, a year-long, two-year-long, three-year-long process of getting people bought into the bigger vision of where we were trying to go with our kids. And the challenge behind that piece was even in those moments where things were tough, as the school leader, you still had to put on that face like things are still great. And we're still aligned mm-hmm. to our vision, and we're still driving forward. And I think the 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 bigger, longer term vision was that I had to keep my mind on the fact that it wasn't important to get our kids to college. It was also important to get our kids through college, and that meant that everything we did and everything we were trying to instill in our kids started with that belief. And so, making sure that permeated through every hallway, every classroom, every conversation in some manner so that we were all aligned to that. And that took a lot of, you know, unwritten energy that you don't really see in a lot of different numbers, but it took just that that background and understanding of what the push is for. Um, and that was a hurdle that took a while to jump over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about you, Legra? Uh, you, you're almost there. What, what has been your biggest challenge? Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, there, I mean, I think that it's really been getting in front of of details um, and aspects of the work that I that or that our team had no previous experience around. Um, so you know, and the the board. Um, so for so long, it's really been 
you know, working with the board and then bringing on, you know, over the past year, when we launched into the planning year, getting the team to really be able to execute. Um, but I'd say that initially in the work, when you're in, just in the planning phase, before you have staff, before you have um, the, the level of support, um, it's really the board of directors and getting different skill sets to to support the various aspects of the work that not you know not a lot of people bring that particular expertise for. And so we have someone on the board that has facility expertise. We have someone on the board who um, was in fund development and, and pulling on that. But as a school leader, still making sure that you're pushing for the details that you may not necessarily have had the skill set for prior to, um, but that you're so into the work because everything at the end of the day will involve you. And so it's important that you're involved um, and not relying on the expertise of people solely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand. And so, you know, you all of you have talked about just how there are so many different aspects to this. Um, you, I, I think you you know that I uh, teach at uh, Teachers College, Columbia University, and a course that I'm currently engaged in is called the Ecology of Database Decision Making. And just this past, uh, uh, just yesterday, actually, I I introduced the notion of what is the school ecology and all the different aspects of the community and the outcomes they have planned and how complex this system is, even from a school level, not just at the district level, but all the players and stakeholders that are involved and and immediately these individuals who are prospective school uh, leaders um, expressed a kind of distress and a kind, a kind of anxiety about how big that picture is, and 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 talked about um, in some cases the need to focus just on academics and 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 kind of blocking out some of the other components. And I wanted to get your perspective on that because there are a lot of things that happen where schools are not just doing academics, but I wanted to get your perspectives on uh, how how things have worked at your schools um, where you have had to engage in activity to strengthen the community. And But I, most importantly, I'd like to hear how important you think that is. In In many cases, new schools and charter schools have been placed in in historically um, underperforming neighborhoods and underperforming both from a school perspective and from uh, a broader community perspective. And so I'd like to start sharing, if you could, tell me a little bit about your perspective on how much can you or should you focus on what's going on outside of the school while you deal on what's going on inside the school. You absolutely, from my perspective, have no choice but to focus on everything because it is inextricably linked. Everything that happens outside of the school impacts what happens in the school from the dismissal, from what is built in the community to the politicians around the community that can fund or not fund uh, what is in your school, a program in your school, whether they support your school being where it is, um, the community relations, the um, interaction between you and the superintendent, and what kind of support you get there. Everything 
is connected. And so it is not realistic from my perspective to um, believe that you could go into a school and be successful by focusing solely on academics and what happens in the classroom. This is definitely uh, a role where you multitask. Um, it is a requirement, and it is definitely a role where you have to be able to bring a level of intensity um, to a number of things simultaneously. And mm-hmm, and without that, I don't think you can bring the level of success that's needed, and that's whether it's a, a parent issue that needs to be addressed um, or an issue with a student that needs to be addressed um, or issues with teachers that need to be addressed, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now, David, you so you were you had the the experience of several years being in in a in a situation uh, where you built a school and and selected staff and and engaged the community from scratch. Um, mm-hmm. You weren't from that area, and and so over the long term, where do you start? Though you know, I I, I know, and I and I I think I understand what Sharon had said about. You have to focus on everything. I think we know that to mean that there that you you have to multitask, and there's some things that take priority one day, and others that so it's kind of a dynamic interaction. But over the kind of the course of a few years, how do you figure out, and how did you figure out um, what to focus on and when, and how how did that how did that um, help in your school? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the the first year is a lot different than subsequent years. I think the first year I was able to um, touch a lot more of my community um, in the sense that everything from going to some of my kids, you know, basketball games or going to church uh, where my kids uh, went to went to church to, you know, engaging in other activities outside of the school. So I got a flavor of what was going on in my community. And in the long term, that created not only an understanding of what I was about, but I got an understanding of, of where my kids were coming from, and it allowed me to bring that into our building in a very positive way. As our school matured, I realized that it was near impossible to go to 90 dance recitals, um, but it was more important that we were able to create a culture that we can bring those dance recitals and those type of activities into our school and invite parents and kids to do things that are different than what we do You know, from the, the long uh, school day that we had that was focused on academics. So we built in a lot of clubs, and these were a lot of clubs that were student-created and came from their idea. So it, it allowed us to bridge the gap between the community and the school. Wow. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot, and and I appreciate all of your perspectives. And so, just in this amount of time, we we have we have run out of time. And I, I but I do want to ask each of you if you could for those people who are out there listening to us today that are thinking about doing this work, if you just could give me one small nugget of advice uh, for those that want to do the things that you're doing and be where you are uh, in terms of school leadership. What is the one nugget of advice you would give them? Uh, 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 Lagra, tell me, what what would you give someone uh, as a piece of advice? Yes, so hands down what has helped us um, up to this point and will continue to help us is identifying 
a school uh, school mentor, uh, school leader in this work and, and learning so much from them. And so we identified North Star Academy in Newark and, and really got under the leadership in the school. Um, and it's just been so helpful to us to learn from their work. We recently sent, um, we took a trip there with all of our founding staff to study the school and to talk with teachers and to be professionally developed in that environment so that they can see a really high-performing school and have that vision. Um, and it really just started with reaching out and saying, I love the work that you're doing. I want to learn more about it. How can, you know, I learn from you? And, and it's just mm-hmm. evolved into a really strong partnership with them. And mm-hmm. so I recommend, um, you know, pushing yourself outside of yourself and, and connecting with a model that you, you believe in and you um, want your school to look like and learning as much as you can from that model. Excellent. Sharon, what's your, what's your quick little piece of advice? To remain uh, positive, to remain focused, and to write down everything it is that you want to do and vision, understanding that initially you won't be able to do everything at the same time, but go back and systematically revisit those plans so that you can implement uh, new pieces of it over time so that you don't lose your vision and you're able to uh, bring it to fruition. Excellent, Dave. Any last uh, parting information? What would you? What would be your advice? Yep, I would say uh, find great people and keep them, um, and make sure they believe more is possible, um, because those are the people that will take you and your students to the next level and will allow you to have your vision become a reality. Excellent. Thank you. And so, um, to all my um, panel here, I really appreciate. Uh, you're taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to uh, know you have a lot of good things going on, and I uh, just want to congratulate each of you where you are and the things that you're doing on behalf of students. And so um, I'd like to invite our audience to join us back um, again. We'll be here on July 24th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the same channel, same place. So until then, go well, stay well. Thanks again.